Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Teddy Bakelli. Teddy is the Chief Technology Officer of Landa Lakes, a $16 billion revenue farmer-owned cooperative. Teddy owns the traditional IT domain while also running an R&D function of sorts. Finally, he's also an advocate for the farming community, serving on the Minnesota Governor's Broadband Task Force, as well as with a national group that's trying to do the same. I look forward to hearing more about all of the above and more. Teddy, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Hey, thanks for having me and uh, glad to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Cisco, and the company's Chief Information Officer, Jackie Gushalar. As we enter a time of hybrid work environments, Jackie wanted to take a moment to share how companies can stay ahead of this emerging trend and make informed decisions on the future of work. Jackie, over to you. Hi, this is Jackie Gushalar, SVP and CIO of Cisco. Today, we're at a unique time in history with the ability to redefine work. Work is no longer where you go, it's what you do and how you do it. And it is powered by the convergence of people, technology and places. It's permanently reshaping expectations of both employees and employers alike. To navigate this changing landscape, Cisco's Hybrid Work Index can help you make informed decisions by providing global insights on people's preferences, habits and technology use in the era of hybrid work. It's based on millions of global data points and insights to help you win the war for talent, accelerate your innovation, and enhance business safety and security. Search Cisco Hybrid Work Index to learn more. Thanks, Jackie. And now on to our broadcast. Well, well Teddy, you are the, the Chief Technology Officer of Landa Lakes, and I thought we might begin with a background into the company itself. Uh, provide sort of a thumbnail sketch, if you would, as to Landa Lakes' business. Absolutely. So Landa Lakes is a... Fortune 500 or Fortune, almost Fortune 200 farmer-owned farm-to-fork cooperative. Uh, and I say farm-to-fork because we actually cover the whole gamut from all the way up from the field of the farmer to the, to the food you buy in the grocery store. Uh, we have four main business units. Our Winfield United Group is a crop inputs business. Uh, we buy seed, crop protection, and plant nutrition products from large manufacturers like a Bayer, Corteva, and Syngenta. And we sell those inputs to our members, which are ag retailers that operate in local communities. Um, and then they in turn work with row crop farmers. And in a lot of cases, they are cooperatives. So we touch about 300,000 producers in the United States and almost half of the uh, harvested acres. Our Purina business is a second business is an animal nutrition business. So we're a basic manufacturer in that situation. So we buy raw ingredients, make feed formulations, and then we feed a number of animals that range from cows, chickens, horses, cattle, you name it, we have it. Uh, other than dog and cat, we pretty much have every other species, and you can find a lot of our products at tractor supply stores and a lot of uh, mom and pop dealers uh, throughout the country, predominantly in rural communities. And then our third business is what most people know Land Lakes for. It's our consumer products group that's butter, cheese, uh, refrigerated desserts that you'd find in the grocery stores. In that situation, our membership is made up of dairy producers. They produce the milk, we buy the milk, and then we turn it into value-added products such as butter and cheese. And then that's what you'd find in the store. And then our fourth business unit is our newest business unit, but it's the one that sort of connects the dots between uh, the three is our Tutera business. And it's a sustainability, it's focused on sustainability and it's sustainability within a given business unit. So you go deep into Winfield United and look at the crop practices that farmers are adopting today. And how do we make sure that those are the most sustainable uh, uh, practices that can be put into place as well as looking at sustainability across the value chain. So when I say farm to fork, 
you have seed that comes out of the ground, the grain that gets produced from that seed gets used as a formulation for the animal nutrition. If the cow is the animal that's fed in that specific situation, they produce the milk and then the milk turns into butter. So it really, there is a connection. And when you look at that uh, supply chain, how do you make sure that we are sustainable all the way across and the Tratera business units also focused on that. So that gives you a little bit of an insight of what our organization looks like and, and who we are. That's really helpful. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit more about who you are. Uh, Chief Technology Officer applies in so many different ways across different kinds of organizations. So take a moment, if you would, and talk about your role as CTO and what it entails. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, such a good question. Um, and so I have a couple of things on my plate. Uh, number one, the IT organization obviously reports into me. And so that was the starting point. That's the backbone of our, of our company, all the systems, um, network security falls into that into that area and really how we keep the company operating. But that's one component. And really, we use then that component to help the organization through digital transformation, which is the second pillar of where I focus my attention. So how do we use disruptive technologies? How we do we look at new innovative business models? And how can we bring sort of that uh, technical arm to our business units and say, you have this latest tech like a blockchain. How can we apply that? to really transform and go to market in a new way. So uh, our group gets involved in a lot of cases to help through that. And then obviously either responsible for developing the technology or managing the partners we work with to then develop that technology. And then the third aspect, which <clears throat> was, uh, was something my CEO can continue to push on me and a bit awkward at the beginning, but really come to enjoy it now is how do we use technology for good? And that's really around, you know, when you look at our membership and the need for broadband in the rural communities, how do we get more involved in enabling that? Uh, that could be at the advocacy level. So working on, I'm on a precision ag connectivity task force with the FCC and the USDA. So I chair that committee and that's been a lot of fun to learn that. Uh, I'm also being based in Minnesota. There's a governor's broadband task force. I'm involved in that. And then really using the rest of our organization that really also has a passion of really using technology for, for the right purpose, really getting involved in that. So I manage sort of a group of folks that are, um, would say like, want to do this on a full-time basis, but it's really their part-time job because they have other things to do. Uh, but we get involved in a lot of interesting uh, initiatives and projects um, to be able to deliver that value. That's really interesting. And I, so it sounds like at least in the third category, you've got some people who, as you say, spend part of their time, as you do, uh, in, in getting involved between the first two aspects of what you, you described, uh, the sort of traditional IT organization versus the, the uh, digital transformation part of the organization. Are those distinct uh, organizations or are they also, uh, do they include people that, that bleed across the two sides of what you described? No, they, they bleed across and we've learned the best way. I mean, a, a lot of our technologists are, um, you know, a lot of them also come from rural communities, have background in agriculture, right? And one of the reasons they work at Land Lakes is because, you know, as they progress through their career, they wanted to get a little bit closer to home, uh, not physically, but even with the work that they do. So a lot of them have subject matter expertise and it's uh, whether they work in the infrastructure group managing, you know, server engineering, for example, or networks, they still have an affinity to what happens in rural communities. And they also know that, you know, their relatives are still operating combines. Uh, large tractors, and they're getting more and more sophisticated with the technology. So they also want to get involved and be able to shape that a little bit. And so in that digital transformation, where we use a lot of digital tools to uh, influence farming today, uh, we have lots of folks that have traditional background, but also are using new technologies, right? So especially as we move to the cloud, you still need to have your cloud engineer, 
which um, most likely had a background in core infrastructure. So those are the types of folks that we're getting more and more involved in this area, which has been very exciting. So I'd love to talk a little bit further about that second plank, the the, the digital transformation innovation uh, part of your organization and your purview. Uh, you know, to the uninitiated, this is perhaps the oldest industry there is, uh, and also to the uninitiated, the uh, the innovations that are happening may be less apparent uh, to 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 folks. And I know from from uh, our conversations as well as uh, others I've had in, in the industry more generally, there's remarkable innovation happening uh, in this industry and, and in your company. Uh, talk a little bit about, you, you mentioned the sort of uh, generic example of blockchain is emerging. What is its application to, to a business like Land Lakes? Let's have some people go play around with it and investigate it to determine its application and, and perhaps investments in it. Um, let's let's delve a little bit further into the methods that the team uses. Um, I, I know, for instance, you've got some like labs, innovation labs, uh, you know, at your disposal. Talk a little bit before we get into the specifics of what they're developing. Can you talk a bit more about sort of the people involved and the processes they use uh, to to help with that innovation? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, you know, the number one thing is you have to actually know what these technologies do, right? So we actually have a, a small group of people dedicated to investigating these disruptive technologies. So whether it's meta, metaverse, or augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, components of artificial intelligence from machine learning to computer vision to computer speech. Like, how can we truly understand that? And the small group of people, their goal is not in a vacuum to learn these, but the idea was to assemble the other folks from the technology organization to go learn these capabilities, right? So we would do small use cases, small proof of concepts. A lot of the use cases came from our core business, right? Something we took, but it was more really around learning the technology than it was about actually making a transformation with that technology. Now, but now once we're armed with that knowledge, as we have close conversations with folks in our in the supply chain function or even in the, uh, the marketing and sales organizations and some of the things they're trying to do, that's where the magic really happens because they might say, look, I'm thinking about transforming to a more subscription-based type of a business versus just selling products. Uh, and they're saying, you know, I probably need some place to, uh, you know, kind of, get somebody to come in and sign up and manage their contract. And we would go, well, no, let's take it one step further. How are you managing the business itself, right? How are you making sure that through the subscription, they're actually um, using the products you want them to use? Uh, how are you making sure that they actually put in the practices? So then we fuse in some of the technologies we've learned. And we said, you know, we could use, you know, with a, with a vision, for example, we could use satellite imagery. To, to, to take a look at these fields and making sure that like, you know, if they're trending up in vegetation, that means that probably things are going well or they're trending down. Uh, maybe gives you a signal that if this field is under a subscription, like we may need to do something about it. We need to alert the farmer. So that's how we start to take some of these technologies and really start to shape what that business model looks like, uh, which has been a lot of fun over the last couple of years. So, so, you were bringing uh, technology to bear to aid the farmers who are part, part of your a, a critical element of your ecosystem. Um, how how readily uh, ha have the insights you bring to bear, the technologies used, ha have they been adopted by by the people who are supposed to be the, the those who benefit from from the what, what you're bringing to bear there? Absolutely. So let, let's take our Winfield United business, which is which is a really interesting use case and what they do. So they're a uh, uh, a wholesale distributor, for lack of a better term. So they buy seed, crop protection, and plant nutrition from manufacturers. Yes, they have their own branded products, but predominantly it's the 
Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the products that we buy from, from the suppliers. And then we sell that to these ag retailers. And the way Winfield as a wholesaler has just uh, differentiated itself and continues to differentiate itself is through agronomic expertise and technology, right? So the agronomic expertise, there's about 150 what we call answer plots. They're small applied research plots. But in these plots throughout all the areas where we do business, we plant all the seed varieties, apply different crop protection applications, put different practices into place, and then collect all that data. While that data has to come somewhere now and we house it, and then you have to run, you know, in the past we did more basic sort of analysis. Now we're getting into more complex algorithms when we're looking at, you know, the nitrogen uh, application combined with a fungicide and how does that all come together? And the, the traits of this hybrid or this variety of seed when you combine it, how does it perform in the soil type? So bringing all that together really gets to be more of a complex analysis. So we're starting to use technology to bring that to life. So that information now is available to these ag retailers who are working with these farmers and giving them the best advice about what to do on a given field. At the same time, uh, we have what's called the Winfield Innovation Center. And at that location, what we're doing is that then you get into more of the macro and micronutrients right, the, the, the fertilization and some of the micronutrients you apply on that field on top of sort of your basic uh, um, seed and the crop protection that goes on, but what are the interactions there, right? And then if you're going to apply something and you're going to spray it on the field, you also want to see if it's windy that day and you're using a particular type of nozzle, you know, is this product going to stick to the plant? And we want it to stick to the plant because when it goes into the plant that makes the plant uh, stronger and healthier and absorbs the nutrients from the ground and, and, the, and, the, and the products you're applying are not drifting and going off into different areas. So the Innovation Center has these types of interesting uh, insights they bring out and the technology now, can we visualize that? How can we, you know, that sort of that complex scenario, how can we visualize that using technology? How can we put it into an app that's easily consumed that both a farmer and an agronomist can use as they make their day-to-day -day decisions? So these are the ways in which you know, the technology not only complements in a lot of cases, but drives uh, you know, how, how we're progressing in the business. Great examples. Um, you mentioned, you alluded to earlier, uh, the, the, the necessity to, um, to, to create better opportunities for those in rural communities uh, to connect to broadband. And, and, and so even, even uh, some farmers who may be very progressive in their thinking about the use of technology may have limitations if in fact they can't access it appropriately without the appropriate broadband in place. And so I know that uh, something that you are, you're passionate about and getting uh, and very active in is uh, initiatives to help uh, bridge that divide. Talk a little bit about some of the, 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 the rationale behind it, but also the actions being taken. Absolutely. And so this is where, you know, the third pillar of my job really starts to clash with the other two that I saw, right? So I talked to you about, you know, kind of developing maybe this really fun app that has all sorts of insights and really cool technologies. And so we take it to the farm, you know, and you're standing with the farmer and you're like, hey, I'm going to show you what happens in this field. We'll look at how it's performed over time. And here's what you could do. You've, you fire it up and it spins, you know, and it does nothing. And, and you know, obviously all the, all the code that's local comes up, but anything that requires internet connectivity doesn't work. And most of that is residing in the cloud. And yes, it was nice to have broadband at the farm gate. Like you can't use some of these technologies if broadband is not there. And, and that was both uh, the, the internet coming into the, into the farmer's uh, building or even just the wireless connectivity in that area. Because in those rural communities, I mean, they're dispersed, they're far apart. 
And it's really expensive to bring down fiber or even put up towers when there's not that many individuals in the area, right? So it doesn't pencil out for the broadband providers and the wireless providers as well. But it's a basic necessity because as you can see, we wanna use it for you know, kind of day-to-day -day work. Um, and so we created a, an initiative called the American Connection Project. And the idea for us was, as we talked to a lot of our members, they just kept bringing it up this, I don't have internet connectivity. And we could see that firsthand. So we were really pushing for uh, advocacy to bring, I mean, like I said, it doesn't pencil out for the broadband provider, so they need some sort of an aid. So is there funding from at the state level or the federal level that could help these broadband providers bring this capability to those rural communities? And again, it wasn't seen firsthand because it seemed like, oh, you just need to connect this person. No, no, this person is actually involved in food, fiber, and fuel production. So it's actually the backbone for all of us, and it's in our best interest, in all our best interest to make sure they're connected. So we had started that and then COVID hit, right? And COVID just became the max, the accelerator at, a, at, a, at, a, at an unprecedented pace because now these communities, it wasn't just the productivity, it wasn't just about their kids not able to do homework. You have to be at home now and you have to have internet just to go to school, right? So that wasn't happening. At the same time with the pandemic, um, you wanted to go in case you got sick, uh, whether you had COVID or not, you needed to go see a, a doctor and, but you didn't want to go to a clinic 80 miles away to sit in a clinic with a bunch of other people that were sick. And now you didn't have COVID, but you have it now. Right. So if they were able to do something like telemedicine, that would have been something that uh, would have helped. Right. So be able to get on a screen with a doctor or a nurse, get the recommendation that way. So that just accelerated and amplified the story that we were talking about, but beyond those basic needs. I mean, they're fundamental basic needs. Just the idea to even reskill workers as more technology comes to these rural communities, we're no longer, we're doing less work because that's getting automated and we have more work that's more digital in nature. So you have folks that want to reskill themselves. Uh, in addition, there's more telework that could be available for folks to be able to take advantage of that. So for us, this American Connection Project was a key initiative we got a coalition of number of companies that were supporting this. So about 175 or so companies are in it now uh, that are advocating for this. Uh, and we're also taking some action. Like our, ourselves, the first thing we did was um, set up guest wireless access uh, where we had our locations, whether it's a manufacturing plant, a distribution warehouse, we were putting these wireless access points and uh, folks like HP and Aruba were really critical for us to be able to set this up. So we would have guest wireless, you would come to the parking lot, and you would park in a designated spot and then you'd be able to access the uh, internet coverage that way for schooling or talk to a doctor or anything like that. And to this day, even after, you know, sort of the, I mean, we still have the ups and downs and the spikes of COVID. We still have folks coming, I mean, to the tunes of 800 people or so to just our 30 to 35 locations we've enabled to be able to do that. But through the coalition now we've expanded 3000 plus locations that are actually offering this in rural communities. And again, it's a Band-Aid solution. Um, but it's a good start to then putting into in place more uh, long-term solutions that, uh, that the, the, those in those communities can, can take advantage of. Very interesting, Teddy. Uh, this is such an unusual uh, set of responsibilities for a technology executive. Um, you know, you, you, you have the traditional uh, uh, technology portfolio. You've added, of course, the innovation, which puts you into a, you know, a smaller club, so to say. But now this uh, advocacy that is part of your responsibilities with the American Connection Project, you mentioned earlier your governor's uh, broadband task force uh, with the governor of Minnesota. Um, 
talk a little bit about getting involved in that. I, I you know, perhaps earlier in your career as you're rising the ladder uh, in the technology ranks, it, this I would, can't imagine this would have been the sort of thing that would have been on your radar. Uh, so talk a bit, a bit about, from your own perspective, the value in having somebody with a technical background uh, being part of the advocacy and, and frankly, what you've drawn from it personally. Yeah, it's been, uh, you, you are spot on, Peter, on the, you know, was I even thinking about doing this? Absolutely not, you know, and I remember even the first couple of times where I threw my name in the hat and, you know, got selected for a couple of uh, uh, task forces and eventually chair, et cetera, you know, running these meetings, I'm like, what am I doing here, right? Like, <laughs> I'm a technologist, I, want to play, I don't want to talk about politics, which has a big impact when you get into that sort of sphere, but also positioning and uh, influencing policy, you know, I, I'm used to, I have the ability to go do something if I need to do it, right? And here it's, no, there's a lot of education that needs to happen. There's a lot of uh, uh, influence that you need to uh, uh, put together and, and, and talk to a lot of different legislators. You know, you have the House, you have Congress, you have the governor, you know, it, it, it's, 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 but it's super interesting. I mean, because policy gets shaped there and you can make truly a difference. I mean, I, that's what I found out. You can really make a difference. And although you're not writing the law, uh, you are influencing a lot of folks that actually are eager to want to know. And it's not a simple thing, right? Uh, the, the, the other thing I picked up is, you know, the, the, these folks are in office for a period of time. So they want to be able to make a difference while they're in the office, you know, but some of these things are, you know, years out, right? I mean, you won't see the benefits or the fruits of this till 10 years from now. And they're like, I'm not going to be here, but yet it's still uh, encouraging for me to see folks that will still undertake it and know that they won't see the end but they, want, they, they need to know it's critical to get this started uh, and to make an impact here. So, you know, and, and I've encouraged a lot of folks on my team now to get involved because they are seeking for more knowledge from people that do this on a day-to-day -day basis. They are seeking for ideas from the private sector because in a lot of cases, you know, we, we're not bound and, and, and we can do a lot of things. Like I said earlier, we could just go do, right? And, you know, what's appropriate where you need to have red tape and what's not, you start to get an understanding of that. And that's been, that's been very fulfilling for me personally, right? And be able to see, for example, uh, in, in DC, they passed the infrastructure, uh, the infrastructure bill, uh, which is super exciting, about $65 billion dedicated to uh, improving broadband in rural communities. There was another 65 or $68 million that was allocated to FCC to do better mapping because the mapping, uh, again, no bad actors from the FCC side. I knew all the constraints that they were going through but they were just um, checking internet at the census block level, right? Not at the individual household, partly because there's privacy issues. You don't wanna be able to say so-and-so doesn't have internet, but somehow there needs to be a better way to capture the propagation maps and whatnot. So this is where the private sector can say, hey, have you thought about doing this, this and that? That, that may be a better way to get this accomplished, right? And so, um, so that's, that's happening a little bit. And even the states are getting involved and a lot of the different states are putting dollars into their border-to-border -border programs and things like that to be able to get uh, all their citizens connected. So that's very fulfilling and very rewarding personally. Fascinating. And, and speaking of influence, you also, uh, just after the, the, the pandemic commenced, joined the board as a corporate director of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Minnesota. Uh, and so uh, yet another sort of area in which you have an influence outside of your organization. Talk a bit about um, the, poss the, the, the process of joining a board and the extent to which you can share some details of, of, of doing so during the course of the pandemic uh, with a, uh, an organization in, in the health field. Uh, talk, talk a little bit about that experience. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> healthcare has been so much fun. I, I didn't know either. 
there's so many things. I mean, I, what I'm learning every year is I can't have an opinion about something if I'm not in it, because once you're in it, then you get educated about all the obstacles and everything else you run through. So I, I do think healthcare is a fascinating space. Um, and, you know, just like any other industry, like we talked about digital coming to agriculture, digital coming to healthcare in a fast and furious, right? And the, with HIPAA and the privacy rules, I mean, it's even more, there's even more scrutiny, right, about information and data you can share and can't share. So you really have to be careful about that. That said, uh, they're trying to take advantage of a lot of, of these new uh, disruptive technologies, right? Whether uh, it's the, uh, the doctor that's uh, working with some sort of a, uh, uh, AI-enabled um, supercomputer that starts to help them through the process of identifying a disease or, or diagnosing what might be going on with a patient to using um, uh, you know, different equipment that really you know, gets down and, and really can interpret what it's seeing versus just magnifying it. Um, to all the things that we wear, right? The Apple Watch and the Fitbits of the world, which are providing data which is, you know, information before where you would ask the patient, well, how did you feel? And you sort of get this, you know, half answer, like you don't really know. But now if they could submit to you some of this data, you can, you can start to see, oh, well, your heart rate went up a little bit this way. And I see you had this much movement or not. So all that is coming to, to, to healthcare and having someone in the boardroom that can at least, you know, when somebody says, hey, we're using uh, computer vision or, or we're using metaverse, you know, to do, uh, to recreate this can actually understand what they're saying. And it's, you know, it's not a foreign concept. And then you can ask more questions. So at least I see my contributions there is really more, um, how can we use digital to make better decisions? How can we use digital to move that business forward? And Blue Cross Blue Shield is a nonprofit at the end of the day, and it's for the member, which is exciting because it's very similar to the Land O'Lakes model. And, and so ultimately it's like, what's the right thing to do here for the member. And, uh, and, and again, that's, uh, that, that drives a different dynamic in that room and what we're trying to do. Um, so it's so a lot of fun, a lot of fun, but a lot of, a lot of new startups in healthcare, a lot of acquisitions and a lot of movements, a lot of mergers uh, and, and a lot of big players that are doing a lot of exciting things. Fascinating. Uh, I wanted to ask you, as you look to the future, uh, Teddy, what are some trends that particularly excite you? We've talked about a number of them in their application back to Land O'Lakes. Any that we haven't uh, uncovered that are exciting you as you, you look ahead a few years? Yeah, so, so one thing, uh, specifically when I look at the uh, agricultural space, is the impact agriculture can have on climate and, and, and climate change, right? Uh, like I said earlier, we have our business called Truterra, and there's, it's predominantly uh, consulting and technology business. That's really what, what it is at the, at the core of it. And so we are working to develop some exciting technologies that can help farmers uh, adopt better technologies, like not tilling the ground and what's the best process there, uh, potentially uh, using cover crops, which is putting grass, especially in areas where you're near a stream or a waterway. So, you know, things don't float uh, or, or leach into the waterway, but also putting sensors like IOTs and things like that. And then can you, can you monitor what they're doing? And in the process, if they adopt these good practices, um, they have the ability, you know, it costs more for them. So there's, there's a, there's an impact to their, to their PNL at a, at a farm level, which is already stressed to begin with, but they have the ability to sequester carbon into the ground, right? So they're one of the few industries that right away can start to sequester carbon into the ground. And those farmers can get reimbursed with carbon credits. So you can bolster a little bit of their, their PNL that way, and they can adopt these practices. And all of that is done by leveraging technology to be able to make this forward. And it's using some of the basic building blocks uh, in technology 
or some of the new disruptive technologies to be able to do this. So that's one and how we can impact climate in that way. The blockchain piece opens up the, you know, if it's specifically food or even fuel these days. I mean, there's a lot of companies looking to use biofuels, right, as an alternative, not your traditional ethanol, but different ways of using soybeans and corn to be able to, uh, to produce biofuels. But in that situation, they need to be able to understand how was that field managed? What are the, when you go to the grain and you break down the, com the components and the ingredients, carbo uh, carbohydrate levels, protein levels, gluten levels, all that type of stuff is interesting and they wanna be able to manage that. So things like blockchain get to be interesting as far as the traceability aspect. Uh, and in food, you can easily see where, where that's going. And I also like this concept of precision nutrition, right? Which then intersects with the healthcare side now, right? That a lot of healthcare, yes, you could do things to fix once, it's, once things are wrong, but what the best is to do the prevention, right? Like let's get you to eat right. And what are the right foods that are best made for your DNA? Like that's happening. And I think that's exciting and using food as medicine. And now you're connecting, you know, the healthcare space with agriculture, which is super exciting. And, and so those are kind of fun things. And, just, you know, I was so resistant to metaverse. And I mean, I'm like, what is that? Like, is that Fortnite? Like, what, what am I going to, you know, my, my kids play Fortnite. Why would I use that in, in the world, in, in the real world? But I'm starting to see the application now. Like, oh, you could actually recreate it and see what impact it has. And almost create like a digital twin. And then say, can we take that back now and, and, and apply it to, uh, to what we really do, right? And we had a chance to test it and we have some results from that. So I'm talking about more, you know, things a little further out. But it's exciting what's coming, right? Like, I mean, there's there's so many things I can get. You can connect the dots, and and I and I and I, and I that, that gets me jazzed up every day. So, fun time to be a technologist. It is it a fun time to be a technologist. Oh, Teddy, I wanted to ask you as a as a sort of final question here. You know, you, you have had such a remarkable, expansive set of responsibilities, uh, and you know, as you reflect upon your career, are there any sort of secrets to your success? Uh, things that you would, if if a mentee of yours were to to ask you. Uh, for advice on on how to manage one's career or areas to focus, you know, as you reflect on this, you know, a, a portfolio that now includes, you know, traditional IT, that includes innovation, that includes this, you know, advocacy, that also includes, you know, board membership. Uh, what are some factors that have been uh, especially important on your rise and 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 your expansion of responsibilities? Yeah, uh, that's a good question, and, and I'll probably point to two things that I think. Um, are key, right? Number one, I mean, by trade, I'm a mechanical engineer. Like I, I was an engineer and then by, I quickly realized that mechanical engineering was not my, I loved learning, but it wasn't caught my calling in life, right? I, uh, soon after I graduated college, got into technology and have been in that for over two decades, right? Uh, but that said, uh, what that helped me a little bit is the uh, staying grounded and like, you know, you can't, the technology is fun to learn. Don't get me wrong. And, and it's getting more fun every single day. Right. Um, but ultimately, it, it, to me, when you show up in the executive room or in a board, you need to be a business person first. Right. And you need to understand that you got to see the broader picture, um, even the aspects of, you know, when we talk about getting involved in uh, the American Connection Project. Right. Yes, there was a component of us doing the guest wireless we're standing up towers in the rural communities and propagating signals and all that fun stuff, right? But ultimately, like, why are we doing that? Like, we've got to understand the broader picture and staying grounded in the broader picture and really driving more, not necessarily to drive the financials of the organization, which is a critical piece and necessary for survival, 
but it's what, what, what lives are we impacting? Are we changing people's lives? What's our purpose for existing? And, and knowing that and then applying that makes all the different things that we work on, even in technology, that much more relevant. So having that broader picture, the bigger vision to me is, is, is super critical. I mean, I have today, even with the American Connection project, we have actually started American Connection Core and American Connection Communities. Like Core was getting 50 fellows to go out to rural communities and helping them help those communities like, you know, adopt. Once you have digital, what are you going to do? What do you have broadband? What are you going to do with it, right? And what would be the role of technology in that? Well, no, we still want to get involved because we're still going to be the ones that eventually we'd want people to adopt it. So how can we make sure people can get skilled at the basic level and we push this information down? So you got to get down to that level and, and see that broader picture, then you can, what you do makes more sense. So that's one big piece. It's kind of seeing that broader picture. Um, the second one, and I, and I joke all the time, yes, I do a lot of technology. Yes, I do a lot of uh, looking at different business models and different ways to apply it and look at new companies. But ultimately, 90% of my job is people, right? I mean, it really is. It's, when you look at my schedule, I spend a ton of time one-on-ones, whether it's with direct reports, two levels down, three levels down with the full organization, <clears throat> technology organization, with my colleagues, with external uh, partners, where we spend a lot of time. And it's, it's a lot of influencing. It's a lot of um, kind of getting on the same page alignment, right? It's a lot of getting people energized and jazzed up about what they want to do and getting the excitement so they get bought in, uh, making sure that they have accountability and ownership over what they're doing. Um, so it's almost borderline, like spend a lot of time, I should probably read more books on psychology than, than, than tech, right? Because, and really it's unleashing that power in the people that then can go do the work. And so that's been a big focus for me. And, and whether I'm in the boardroom, how do I relate back to the, my colleagues that are maybe have a financial background, maybe have a super, you know, they're, they're extreme great marketers, but we got to have that connection. And a lot of it has to do with personal relationships personal connections uh, and, trend, and, and, and interactions, but as well as the, you know, like sort of how do you create sort of be the one that creates sort of that team environment that, hey, we, we're here to do better for, you know, the member, for example, right? And, and you got to get them on the boat together that way. So that's, uh, I, I think that's, that's another big focus area for me is, is, is the people aspect of it. That's great. Thank you for sharing that wisdom. And, and T- Teddy, thank you for a great interview of, or, across the board. The fascinating work that you and your team are doing in a variety of different areas, uh, many of them so innovative. Uh, the broader set of, of expansive responsibilities you have outside of your organization as well. Uh, the great advice you have for others. Really appreciate uh, of, of, of the, the insights you shared here in this conversation. It's been a great one. Great. Thank you, Peter. And thank you for having me. Uh, great conversations and really awesome questions. Thank you so much. I appreciate that.